All right. Welcome. Welcome, guys, to Free Church. Go ahead and have a seat, please. Hey, I want to let you know, if you are here this evening and if you brought a child, if you brought a kid, thank you. Um, and I want to talk to every mom for a second. Don't get stressed out if your kids make noise, okay? Don't get stressed out if you think your kids are misbehaving. They're not. They're kids. Um, we at this church are for this generation. We believe that children, youth are our VIPs. They are our most fertile soil, and they are our greatest evangelist. And so thank you for bringing your kids tonight. And I was telling my nephew a minute ago, he was running around eating, there's candy in the back. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Every kid here noticed there was candy in the back. And my nephew was running around getting candy, and I said, your uncle's going to speak, and I want you to sound and listen. So where are my kids at tonight? Sarah, I see you. Yep, I'm talking to you. Don't look around. There's no Sarah behind you. It's just you. So I'll call your kids out because um, I want them to listen to what I have to share. We're glad you're here with us tonight. also want to say this is a new space for really all of us in this kind of environment, and so it is distracting. I know um, at Sunnyside we kind of keep the lights down, and there, there is not windows that are open, and so that helps people focus. But this is beautiful, a beautiful view, right? A beautiful view, and so I want you to get your distractions away. If you could look at this beautiful view and then focus in on, on what we're going to share tonight. Um, and we're going to spend some more time in worship as we wrap up. I'm going to invite you to a time of prayer, and then we're going to go eat um, ice cream, pizza. We have a DJ. I do know um, that, I'll just do this. Debbie Renfro is going to um, do a breakdance lesson for all of us all tonight. So I'm calling on her. We got, we got an, amazing, an amazing DJ out back, and you guys can let him know that you appreciate him. So I want to talk to you tonight from a subject called called to call the called called to call the called so say that to yourself a hundred times fast called to call called and as we go we'll add a couple more callers in the mix but I know that when everybody came in here this evening there was one thing on your mind and that was um, the history of the telephone um, the history of the telephone is actually incredibly complicated um, there's a lot of debate over who actually invented telephone we, we often say it was Alexander Graham Bell. He kind of stole a lot of other guys' ideas. But Alexander Graham Bell, he had the U.S. patent on the telephone. The first pat patent was granted in the United States on March 7th, 1876. So do the math, 124 plus 23, 151 years ago. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell patented the first telephone March 7th, 1876, and he makes his first telephone call on March the 10th, so three days later. What he did with the phone for those three days, I don't know. Three days later, he makes the first call, and this is recorded in history. Mr. Watson picked up on the other line, and he said, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. And it was a modern miracle that was witnessed. Alexander Graham Bell goes on to make his first long-distance call exactly five months later on August the 10th, 1876. The long-distance call was made to a location eight miles away. Long distance telephone call. The first commercial phone lines were not established until 1878. And so it took two years before there was anybody actually talking on the phone that were not inventing the phone. And finally, by 1893, just doing the math in my head, seven, it took 17 years. 17 years later, by 1893, there was 0.4 telephones in the United States for every 100 people. And so for those of you that are doing the math and you know the population of the United States of America in the year 
1893, there was 250,000 telephones in America in the year 1893. What happened then? I know you were wondering. The first coast-to-coast phone call was made from Alexander Graham Bell. He's always stealing the thunder. He makes it to Watson, the same Mr. Watson in San Francisco across the country. It didn't happen until the year 1915. So there was no cross-country call until 1915, and it took until 1927 for a phone call to be made from the U.S. across the pond to the U.K. That's the history of the telephone. Here's one of the reasons I brought this up. I want you to look for a minute at the bricks here in this room. Look at these bricks that make up this room in this building. Every single one of these bricks in this building was made and laid before every single thing I just mentioned in regard to the history of the telephone. This building was erected in 19, or I'm sorry, 1870. In 1870, so you're sitting in a room that was constructed in 1870 before telephones, um, at the very beginning stages of the telegraph, before cars, before airplanes. This, there were people sitting in this very room over 150 plus years ago before there was ever a telephone. This puts it into perspective, doesn't it? This space you're sitting in is, is very old. So the phones evolved. Phones evolved many ways over the years. You used to have an operator to connect you from one place to another. You used to have to hold the microphone and the earpiece in two different hands. There used to be these switchboards that people would connect from call to call. Many of you grew up with phones that actually had what was called a rotary dial. It was a dial that you would actually spin, let go, and it would go back to the number. How many of you grew up ever using one of those phones? A rotary dial phone. You did not, Ladina. And it was Myrtle Point. So, yeah, who else? Okay. Rotary dial phones. There is something that was difficult. You actually used to be um, tethered to a wall when you were on a phone call. You could not walk around your house. You could not walk around your yard while you were on a phone call. I can remember being on phone calls in my kitchen because that's where you keep a phone. We had our phone in the kitchen, and in order to talk to my best friend growing up, I had about a six-foot chain that I could leave and deviate and kind of pull on that cord. And then thank God there was cordless telephones. Cordless telephones were about the size of a car. They had enormous antennas and they worked for about six inches away from the base of that telephone. And some of you grew up with like you had the first cordless telephone. Houses used to have these things. And if you're under the age of 30, pay attention. Houses used to have these things called answering machines. And an answering machine was, was a tape player. A tape player was a machine that had a, a small little box that we called a cassette, and there was this magnetic tape on the inside, and when you talked into this, it electronically made, I don't know how it works, but it's a tape player, it was an answering machine, and if you had a friend call your house um, to get a hold of you, it would be like your mom or your dad's voice on the answering machine, like, you've reached the Trask residence. Like, Dad, just, we're all here, it's not just you. So there was the, these answering machines. How many of you um, had like gag or joke little greetings on? Yeah, I did too. I, I had like one time when we had, we had a digital answering machine and I pretended like someone called a pirate when they called our house. Like, ahoy, welcome, thank you for calling. And then I realized like, what if someone was calling me with tragic news and they don't want to be met with a pirate, they just wanted to talk to me, a normal guy. So this is the history of cell phones. Then came something called uh, the cellular phone. I was 12 years old when my parents got their first cell phone, and I thought that we were rich. We had cell phones. They could talk 
on the phone in the car. They could talk on the phone wherever they went. I got my first cell phone in 1997. My wife Susan and I, we started dating in the year 1995, right after we were born. And this is how stupid and cheesy the 90s were. I bought my wife her first, her first cell phone, and I wrapped it in a Christmas gift, and I put it under the tree, and I'm like, hold on just a minute. I need to get something out of the kitchen. And I, I called her on the kitchen phone, and the package rang, and I was like, wow, a cell phone. That's how dorky. So I've had brick phones. I've had flip phones, Nokia phones, color screen phones, video game phones, tiny phones, camera phones, camera phones that you had to plug the camera into the phone. I had one Samsung phone, and I've had every model of iPhone. How many of you have had a flip phone before? Phones. Text messaging really started gaining steam around the year 2003. In 2003, I was working at a T-Mobile call center, and I can remember thinking, why would anyone ever send a text message to someone if they could just call them? And some of you don't know, some of you young people don't even know who Paris Hilton is, but Paris Hilton helped text messaging become what it is today because of the T-Mobile sidekick. And so I was like, why would you ever text someone that's so stupid you could just call them? What a waste of time to tap. And now I like have a panic attack if I have to have a real phone call. And I, I only text. My, I've noticed younger generations are calling again. My son refuses to text. He's like, Dad, I just want to call to ask him. You could have texted me this question. I think I want to listen to my son's voice. But it's really, yeah, I'm going to miss that. It's like, I need to answer all those calls. So we've been called. We've made calls. We've received calls. We've rejected calls. Been on call. We've sent and received millions of text messages. But who was the last person you called? Ed? Who was the last person you called? I'm really disappointed in you. Landon, who was the last person you called? Of course, his wife. I'll ask Ann. Was it, were you the last call? Who was the last person you called? That's true. I don't like to talk on the phone. I text. Like, why the heck are you calling? What was the last call that you received? Who was the last call you actually picked up a call from? You make and you receive calls. We've all been on calls. We get calls. We make calls. We receive calls. And here's what being called could mean. Being called could mean being picked. It could mean being chosen, being drafted, being commanded, being put out onto the field, being put out onto the court to play, or being called could mean being contacted by telephone. The reason I'm talking about all this tonight is I, I want someone to know that, that you are called. Called to call the call. Someone's literally calling me right now. Sam Kane. Sam, put your phone away. Each and every one of us uh, are called. All of us have this idea of a calling. And all of us, pay attention, all of us are called with a calling to call the called. So you're called with a calling to call the called. I have a just brief list of things the Bible says you're called to. And so if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down right in here so the screens are hard to read. But I do have a list of things the Bible says you're called to. You are called out of darkness, First Peter says. You are called to follow Christ's steps, First Peter 2. You are called into the fellowship, friendship with God's Son, First Corinthians says. You are called to be, First John, children of God. You are called to be Saints. That's, that's a weird word, but the Bible says you're called to be saints. Galatians 5 says you're called to freedom. 1 Timothy 6 says you're called to take hold of eternal life. And Ephesians 1 says you're called to hope. Ephesians 1 says the hope that we're called to is the riches of God's glorious inheritance in Christ. 1 Peter 5 says you are called by God's grace 
to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us are called. The gospel is what makes us called. 2 Thessalonians, it says we're called through the gospel to, to obtain the glory of Christ. And then Galatians 1 says that we're called by grace. So each and every one of us has been called something. We're supposed to pick up this call. The good news gospel that God loves us, lived for us, died for us, rose again. The good news call, the gospel, that he's done these things so that our sins can be forgiven, our relationship with God restored. We can receive his spirit and be given everlasting life. We call this good news. We call it the gospel. But it's better than just good news because it's a good news that is free. It is a good news we can't earn. It is a good news of grace, meaning that I don't deserve the gospel. I don't deserve God's love, but God freely gives it. And so this is a free gift of grace that you and I, we pick up the call in faith. Ephesians 2 says, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. We must answer this call. Matthew 22, Jesus says this. Jesus says many people are called. He says many are called, but he says few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. God's calling you. You're one of the many. You are the many who are called. He says, few are chosen. The, who are the chosen? The chosen are those who pick up the call. The chosen are those who hear the call and they respond to the call by faith. And so all of us are called these things by God. We're called to God by grace through faith. And then I'll, I'll wrap up this description of being called. The Bible then says that once we pick up that call, that we receive a holy calling. So we're called to call the call to receive a holy calling, to call the called. All of us called. Romans 8 says we're called according to God's purpose. Colossians 3 says we're called to the peace of Christ in one body that is the church. 1 Peter 3 says we're called to be a blessing so that we can receive a blessing. You're called to call the called. You're called with a holy calling. God's calling you. So what I want to do this evening is just share four short stories from the book of Acts. And if you want to do an interesting Bible study, look and see how many times the word calling or called shows up in the book of Acts. And I'm going to read from Acts 8, verse 26. You might be able to read these on the screen. Again, it's a little bit bright in here. But Acts 8, verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to a man named Philip. Philip was one of the original apostles of Jesus Christ. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so Philip rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Kids, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom and dad when you get home. But Philip went... And there was this Ethiopian eunuch. He was a member of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace's court. He was in charge of all of Candace's treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit of God said to Philip, Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I understand unless someone guides me or explains it to me? And so the Ethiopian invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. 
Now, the passage of Scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was this. And side note, it's from Isaiah 53. The passage of Scripture from Isaiah 53 is this. Like a sheep, he was led to be slaughtered. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? So the Ethiopian says to Philip, who is Isaiah talking about in this verse? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? So Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, it's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw Philip no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We're going to brush over the part where Philip gets teleported somewhere else. That's a whole nother thing. But Philip was called by Jesus himself. Jesus looked at Philip and said, come follow me probably around four or five years earlier. Then Philip went and found his friend Nathanael, and he said, come, I have found Jesus, essentially. Come, follow Jesus. And here, years later, following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, following the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, following the church dispersing from Jerusalem due to persecution, an angel shows up to Philip and says, go to this very specific place. Go at this very specific time and go to this very specific person. You see, God loved the Ethiopian man so much, he sent an original apostle directly to him to call him. And this Ethiopian, what did he do? He picked up the call, he answered the call, and he was, it says he was baptized. So Philip called, call, the called. And the Ethiopian was already being called by reading the scripture, but he needed someone to come and explain that to him. And then you find in Acts chapter 9, there's this other story that's so unique but so similar. We find where Saul becomes Paul. So this religious zealot Saul was on his way to Damascus to literally arrest and persecute and eventually kill Christians. And so Jesus calls him on the road. And Jesus says to Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And so when Jesus calls Saul, remove all the better call Saul jokes. When Jesus calls Saul, Saul is blinded. He is knocked to the ground and his companions carry him all the way into Damascus. And they leave Saul at some guy's house named Judas. Not, not Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, but the common name. And so Saul is at Judas' house, and Saul is praying, God, I'm blind, help me. And Saul has a vision, ironic because he's blind. Saul has a vision that a man named Ananias would pray for him to recover his sight. Meanwhile, in Damascus, in the same city, Jesus tells a Christian man by the name of Ananias, Hey, Ananias, I need you to go to a street which is called Straight Street and you need to go to this very address and there is a man named Judas who lives at this house and when you get there you are going to find Saul the persecutor. I knocked him off of his horse. I blinded him. He's real confused and I want you to lay hands on the Christian killer and pray for him so that he will be healed and he will receive his sight. 
And I can imagine Ananias being like, I don't want him to see. If he can't see, then he can't find me and bring me back to Jerusalem to persecute me. And Jesus says, hey, Ananias, don't worry. Saul changed teams. He's on team Jesus now. Ananias is like, if that's what you say, Jesus reassures him, it's going to be all right. You, you Ananias, I'm going to use you to call the called. And so Ananias obeys his calling. He goes to the address that Jesus gives him. He prays for Saul. Saul is healed. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, just like that Ethiopian, Saul is baptized. He's baptized there on the spot. Called to call the called. Two more. This one's weirder. In Acts chapter 10, there's this city called Caesarea. In Caesarea, there is an angel who calls a Gentile Roman soldier named Cornelius. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 4 through 8, this is what the angel says to Cornelius. He says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So Cornelius, send men to the city of Joppa. And bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Bring Peter with you, because Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, Peter is lodging at the house of another guy named Simon. He's a leather tanner. And Simon the leather tanner's house is in Joppa by the Mediterranean Sea, and I need you to go and get Peter. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter is hanging out on top of a roof where he has a very, very strange vision that we don't have time to get into, but it involves eating crazy stuff. He's got this strange vision, and what the vision means is this. The vision means, Peter, it's okay to talk to Gentiles. Peter, it's okay to talk to people who are not Jewish. Peter, it's okay to talk to people who are not like you, and so I want you to go, and I want you to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Well, that's strange, Peter said. And the second that Peter comes to from this vision, there are Cornelius's men. It took them two days to get there, and they're asking, is someone named Peter at the house? And Simon the Tanner's like, yeah, and Peter's like, it's, it's cool. They're here for me. And so the guys stay the night at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, and the next day they start walking back to Caesarea. And they make it all the way to Caesarea, Peter and Cornelius' men. And Cornelius is expecting Peter to show up with his men. And so what does Cornelius do? He invites all of his friends and his close family. And when Peter gets to the house, Cornelius is like, okay, Peter, God brought you here to me. I got all of my friends. Tell us what your message is. Peter's like, I'm not the one who called. Called for me. And so Peter preaches the gospel. Everyone hears the gospel. They receive the gospel with faith. They were filled with the Spirit, and guess what they did next? They were baptized. Immediately on the spot, the whole house is baptized. God calls Cornelius to call Peter so that Peter can call Cornelius. I was trying to even describe how this would, what this would even be like. It would be like me saying to Josh, Josh, I need you to call my wife so that you can call her, so she can call me, so that I can call you, okay? Can you do that? No. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? Why? But this is what God does. He calls the called to call the called to return the call. So God does all this, and he loves Cornelius so much that God sets up what's kind of like the first two-way call to call him. You see, God had been listening to Cornelius' prayers. God heard his prayers. God knew what his heart's desire was. God loved Cornelius. God knew Cornelius' address, his very home address in Caesarea. And he also knew the address of where Peter was staying. And he coordinated this two-way call. 
There's this encounter with angels, strange visions. There's a message of the Holy Spirit just to reach one single guy named Cornelius and his entire family. Tim and Kara Warnock, if you were having a boy, Cornelius, corny would be his. But God knew Cornelius' address. Here's the last story. These things just happen again and again and again in the book of Acts. Last one. So Paul, the guy that was Saul. Imagine in your mind where Turkey is, the country Turkey. That used to be called Asia Minor, this, this large subcontinent. And so Paul is in Asia Minor. He's trying to go to all these different cities to spread the gospel. And, and it actually says that God kept stopping him from doing it. He just couldn't break through. Everywhere he's going, God's like, nope, not there. One time it actually says the spirit of Jesus prohibited him from going to one place to preach the gospel. And so he keeps getting pushed all around. How many of you feel like in life it just feels like you're getting pushed around? Where, where do you want me to go, God? I'm trying to do your work, and you, you keep stopping me. You keep pushing me. I don't know what to do. So he ends up in the port city of Troas at the very edge of Asia Minor. And while he's there, Paul receives, and here's the call, Acts 16, verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. And in the vision, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging Paul and saying, Come over to Macedonia. Come and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia. We, it's written by a guy named Luke who was with him. So, so we went to Macedonia. We concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. Now, Macedonia is in Europe. The gospel had never spread in Europe before this point. Paul answers the call, go to Macedonia. He goes... And this is why God had been stopping him. God is calling Paul to Macedonia through the call of a man in a vision. And so Paul and his friend Silas and Luke, they follow the call. They meet this wealthy lady named Lydia, and they lead Lydia to Christ. Meanwhile, there's this demon-possessed girl who is like a fortune teller who is a slave, and her slave masters used her fortune-telling ability from demons to make money. And the, this demon-possessed girl is pestering Paul and Silas. And so what does Paul do? He casts the demon out. This makes the masters, the slave masters, angry because their gimmick is up. They can't make money off this girl anymore. And so for casting a demon out of a girl, they throw Paul and Silas into prison. And so Paul and Silas are sitting in prison and they do what any of us would do in prison. They just start singing hymns and worship songs. Because that's what you do when you get thrown in prison unjustly. So while they're singing and while they're praying and while they're worshiping, an earthquake hits. Now, earthquake normally would be bad news, but this particular earthquake opened up all of the gates of the prison doors. Well, that's convenient. Now, of all of the prisoners there in every cell that the gates had been opened, it said that Paul and Silas, that they were shackled to the ground, and the shackles actually break also. And there we don't know how many prisoners there are, but there's a decent number. They all realize there's an earthquake, and now we are free. So let's pick this story up in verse 27. It said, when the jailer awoke, a uh, jailer is like a corrections officer. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword because he's going to come after the prisoners. No. It says he drew his sword to kill himself because if the prisoners escape on his watch, whatever is going to happen to him at the hands of Rome is worse than what would happen at his own hand. And so this 
He's, he's there, he's about to kill himself. He, he supposed that the prisoners all escaped. And so in verse 28, it says, Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. No one has escaped. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And every time I've read this verse about 100 times, I'm like, oh, he just flipped on the light switch. And then I remembered, oh, this was 2,000 years ago. There were no light switches. So it's like, light up the torches. So the torches light up. The jailer rushes in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought Paul and Silas out of the prison and says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So we've just been rescued from prison. We did not escape. We're here. Don't kill yourself. And all of a sudden, the prison guard says, Guys, you were called to me. What, What do I need to do to be saved? And this is what Paul and Silas said. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household will be saved, just like Cornelius. And they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and to all who were in his house. So the jailer, if you didn't notice, just invited these prisoners. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds because they had been beaten the day before. And the jailer was baptized at once. He and his entire family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced all along with his entire house that had believed. I'm going to wrap this up tonight. We're talking about calls. So if you have a phone, could you put away your phone to this side? This jailer was literally the man calling for help in Paul's vision. And this is a strange paradox. This is a strange oxymoron. It doesn't make sense because... Paul was the actual reason why the jailer was in this predicament. The very reason he was calling for help was because Paul was in prison. But Paul was also the help that he called for in the vision. Paul saves the guy's life. But his real cry for help wasn't his life. His real call for help was, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And that day he was truly saved. He and everybody in his house were truly saved. You see, God loved the Macedonian jailer so much that God played a game of inception to connect him and Paul. Because what happened was, calls him, he uses the jailer's call in a vision to call Paul, to call the jailer who was called. And God prevented Paul from going to so many places Because reaching this one single man and his entire family was so important to him. And using Paul to do it was God's number one plan. And so he calls the called in a vision to call the called through a vision to call the caller who didn't even know he called. The Macedonian didn't pick up a phone and called. He told Paul he needed help in a vision and he didn't even know he was in the vision. In each of these accounts, God calls the called to call the called. In several of these accounts, God calls the called to call the called to call the caller, sending people at specific times to specific addresses to specific people who God was calling. And in each of these cases, the gospel is what called them. The gospel is what made them called. In each of these situations, they were called by God's grace. They received it in faith. They received the Spirit, and they were baptized. So here's the last verse of our time together today. Romans chapter 1. The Romans chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes this. He basically says, God's called me. I'm an apostle. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. God called me to do this. And he said, he called me among the nations, verse 6. 
Paul says, he called me from among the nations and including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so of all the things that you and I are called to, to everything we're called to, the most important call is that we are called to belong to Jesus. This is the gospel. This is grace. This is where we receive the Spirit. This is what baptism is all about. We are called to receive Jesus Christ. We're called to belong to Jesus Christ. The question is, are you called? Are you called? Are you receiving a call right now? We've established that you're called, 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 called. It sounds like you've called a lot of times. But are you called tonight? Some of you tonight are actually being called to belong to Christ, and you don't belong to Christ now, and you're actually being called to belong to Christ. And the reason I gave this message is because God loved you enough to somehow get you here tonight. God loved you enough to call me to come and call you by preaching the gospel so that you could be called. You were called. Receive call in faith. Tonight at this place, at this time, with these people, at this very location, you're being who's called. Many are called. Few are chosen. Will you say yes to Jesus Christ? Will you respond and answer the call? The call to belong to Jesus. He's calling. Will you answer? Will you say yes to God in faith? Number two, some of you tonight who have answered the call of Jesus, if you'd say, hey, I'm a Christian, I've answered that call, like Philip, like Ananias, like Peter, and like Paul, some of you are being called to a specific place. Peter and Cornelius, there was exact addresses. Ananias and Paul, there were exact addresses. The jailer, we have his exact address. The prison, we have its exact address. Some of you are being called to a specific place tonight, and this is actually the thing that God put on my heart more than any other thing to preach to you tonight, is I believe with all my heart that someone who's listening here is literally being called to move away from this city. God's calling you to leave this place and go somewhere else because you're being called to call the called. And I'll give you an opportunity to respond by being prayed for in a minute, but I'd love for you if that's you, if God's been prompting you, like, I feel like I'm being called to leave to a specific place, whether it's for a missions trip or if it's for the rest of your life or a year, I don't know, but I would love for you just to confirm that with me so I can lay hands on you and pray. But God said, there's someone that will hear this message tonight that he's calling away. My son and his wife, they're moving next week. You don't count in that one because we, we already know you're, you're already moving. It's not a secret. But if you'd be like, man, tonight God is calling me. God is calling me out, and this is just God's confirmation. You're being called. Be obedient. Some of you here didn't know you'd be in the United States of America. God called you here for a reason, for a time, for a called to call the called. Number three, some of you are being called to a specific person. You're like, yes, Lord, I do have my eyes on her. And tonight, this is confirmation that I am called. You should have asked her out a long time ago. But some of you are being called to a specific person. God sent Philip to a specific Ethiopian man. God called Cornelius to Peter and Peter to Cornelius and Paul to Ananias and Ananias to Paul and the poor Macedonian jailer. We don't even know his name, but God called him. Some of you are being called to a specific person. God's put someone on your heart tonight that is so desperately in need of the grace of God that God is calling you to reach. God is calling you to preach the gospel to, to love, to share the hope you have in Christ. And you've been holding off on sharing the gospel with someone God's put in your life. And God's saying, hey, tonight you're called to call that person who's called to call the called because they're called to call the called too. How many calls would we missed if we didn't obey the call? And then finally is this. Some of you are in need tonight. 
Some of you are in need. And I'll actually ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes if that would help you. This entire message has been about God calling you. But some of you tonight, you're not even thinking about God calling you because you're actually desperate to call out for help. And God has laid it on your heart tonight at the sound of this message to call for help. How many of you knew at one point in your life it was time to call for help and you didn't? And that did not end well. You could have called for help and and you didn't and you ended up in a precarious place. You see, if we don't call for help, we're actually robbing someone who God's calling to help us of their opportunity to help. And we're missing out on the help that God wants to give. Some of you tonight, I believe, are absolutely being called to call for help. It's very hard to call for help. I've been married for 24 years, and I've been avoiding asking my wife for help with an issue that I shared with her last night because I just didn't want to. But last night, by bearing each other's burdens, by confessing to one another, God gave some freedom, and I just needed to call for help. Don't let pride stop you from calling out for help. Some of you this evening are being called to joy, and you need to, you need to call for help. God, I need joy again. Some of you are being called to wholeness. God, make me whole. Some of you are being called to health. You need to call out for help because you are in a health crisis, and the Lord wants you to call for help. Scripture says sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Someone here tonight just needs relief, needs relief. David in Psalm 23 says that God, our shepherd, can restore our soul. Some of you just need, some of you need rest. You're restless. You need rest. God's inviting you to find rest for your soul. Some of you need to cry out, call out to God for deliverance. You need to be delivered from, and if you need to be delivered from something, you don't need to ask what it is because you already know what it is you need to be delivered from. And finally, some of you just need freedom. And God's saying, hey, would you call out for freedom? That's why you're here. God is using someone like me tonight called, called. And just like this man, Cornelius, God has heard. God is hearing and answering your prayers. He knows. He knows. So I'm going to ask you to, to respond if you could. Um, I'm going to ask our band to come up. We're going to close out in a couple of worship songs and some prayer. Could you stand? You can stay in this attitude of prayer if it means closing your eyes, whatever it takes, if you could focus for a sec. Tim, Kara, you want to come up here? Ed, can you come up here with me too, Ladina? These guys are here to pray for you as, as we close out in some songs. Um, but if you feel that tonight you're being called to belong to Jesus, if, if you never surrender your life to Christ, that's the most important call you could ever answer. Called to belong to many are called. Few are chosen. Will you respond by choosing? Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So as soon as Kim starts to sing, if you tonight want to respond to the call of the gospel and surrender your life to Jesus, we just want you to come up, pray with one of us. We, we can't give you over to Christ. You have to put faith in Jesus, but we just want to celebrate with you, lay hands on you, pray for you, love on you, support you, and encourage. Some of you, I said that God is calling you to leave, literally leave this city, leave this place to go somewhere else. And if that's you, I, I'd like you to also walk up to the front and we want to lay hands on you and pray for you. You might not know where you're being called to. Maybe tonight that's the start of that. You know you're being called and God's going to actually impart that to you as hands are laid on you to be prayed for. Three, some of you being called to a specific person. There's someone in your life that God is calling you to reach, calling you to minister to. You've been ignoring that call and tonight God's just saying, hey, you've been called to reach them and if you 
are being prompted to do so, and if you know that's me, there's someone in my life that God's put on my heart to call, I'd like you to come forward so we can pray for you as well. And then finally is this. You're called to call for help tonight. Some of you need to call out for help. You don't know what to do, who to share it with, how to get help, but the first step is just saying, God, help. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you tonight need to just simply call for help. So if that's you this evening, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you've never done that before. God's calling you to move somewhere. God's calling you to a person, or you just need to cry for help. Would you just begin to make your way up to the front right now? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Just make your way up here. This dance floor is an altar. So come on up to the dance floor. We want to lay hands on you pray for you. If that's you, I need to call for help tonight. God, we thank you for this word. Thank you, God, for calling each person here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for using us to call others who you are calling. God, for those who are called to belong to you tonight, may they put their trust and their faith in you. Lord Jesus, for those who are called to leave this place and to go somewhere new, may they respond in faith to that call. God, as you're putting people and family members on our hearts, people that we are called to reach, would you help us to respond in faith and receive prayer tonight to have the boldness to do so? And God, I want to ask for each person here who's called to call for help, would you remove any condemnation, any shame, any guilt, and allow them to walk in the freedom that you promise? In Jesus' name, would you come up and be prayed for if that's you tonight?